Hey, good morning, Munchropolis. It's now 5 after the hour of 6 a.m. in the big monster city. Come on! Let's get pumped! I'm not drinking any fucking Merlot! What can I say? The camera loves me. Shall we begin? After you, Junior. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Logged It. This is the part of the show where I do the intro. This is the intro segment. Oh, we're getting all meta, self-referential, yuck, 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 yuck. Anyway, I'll drop that bit. Uh, anyway... Uh, this'll, this'll be a fun one. This is meta movies. Uh, interpret that in whatever way you want to, but yeah, these are the, your self-referentials, your fourth wall bit breakers, your, your movies that get all up inside themselves. And we got a great panel for that. We got Mr. Casey Johnson. I thought you were about to make a tar reference by being like, you do not start. You cannot that, start. I'm excited to be on. Mm-hmm. Not start with that. Oh, oh, okay. Uh, Scott? I mean, it's actually true, though, because Boatman has the, the admin, you know, uh, login. Boatman is running the stream. We we cannot start without him. But, uh, that, that is true. That is we true. did start. Hi, happy to be here. I, I, technically speaking, have more power than Lydia Tar. Yeah. Uh, Jake, Jake is here. I am, yes. Now, this is when I say something witty and mention that I woke up 15 minutes ago and then say I'm looking forward to this episode. See, I can be a little mayor as well. <laughs> and Jack. Yeah, hi. Uh, this is the part where I say how tired I am, but how happy I am to be here. <laughs> anyway, this is the part of the show where we talk about our uh, favorite and least favorite ones we log this week. Scott will probably have some good movie in his least favorite list, maybe. Clayton will probably be pretty pretty basic. Jake's going to be on cocaine, and Jack will be on marijuana. So, <laughs> we'll get started with your favorite movie you log this week. Uh, Scott, let's start with you. Um, okay, my favorite movie I've logged this week. Uh, maybe I'm going to have a bad movie. I don't know. Is that the perception? I, I don't know. But No, I didn't um, think your bad was going to be your favorite. I said you're going to have yeah. something than your least favorite. Don't, don't worry. The least the movie I have reserved for least favorite is definitely not a good movie. But as okay. far as my favorite movie, um, I uh, for my podcast, I'm like, it's Scott Plug. Um, we are doing a countdown series um, coming up soon on the films of Wes Anderson in preparation for Asteroid City coming out. Um, and so I just rewatched for the first time since theaters, uh, fantastic Mr. Fox, um, last night. So that will be my favorite movie I logged this week. Um, yeah. So I saw, like I said, I saw this in theaters. I was 14. I'd never seen a Wes Anderson movie before. I was just sort of getting into different types of movies. So, um, it was a lot for me at the time. I don't think I definitely did not fully appreciate it because it was, um, you know, it's obviously a, it's a, Baptism of Fire, the first time you see your Wes Anderson, first Wes Anderson movie, if you don't know what you're getting into. Um, and obviously, Fantastic Mr. Fox is one of the more heavily stylized movies in his in his oeuvre, and that's saying something. But yeah, it's uh, after rewatching it, I loved it, um, as I found with many of Wes's movies, that when I come back to them, um, I love them a lot more. Um, yeah, it's 
it's a great story. It's, you know, he makes it into sort of a heist movie, which is really fun. Um, you know, it really makes great use of the stop motion animation for like the quick movement and everything and the, and the heist. And, um, all that is great. You know, it has some, some great comedy in it. He and Noah Baumbach co-wrote this one together. So, you know, two of like my favorite screenwriters there teaming up. Um, and, you know, I think, uh, you know, I now understand for one thing, the, uh, the reason why everyone when White Noise came out was saying, oh, hey, well, Noah Baumbach just uh, copied his White Noise ending. Or he copied his Fantastic Mr. Fox ending for White Noise. Um, I, yeah, he kind of did, but um, they're both, it's great in both instances. Um, but yeah, I don't know how you can watch the supermarket scene at the end of this movie and say that, you know, oh, Wes Anderson's movies are all just cold, like, you know, technical spectacles or whatever. Like, that is one of the most, one of the warmest scenes, like, in a movie. For, forget just the Wes Anderson movie, like, the little speech that George Clooney gives there and then the dance and everything. Like, you know, it just, it makes you happy. Um, and so I really enjoy this movie. The whole cast is, the whole voice cast is great. Obviously, the animation is spectacular. Um, it's... Yeah. It, again, I, I have now, you know, we're, we're making our way through Wes Anderson. I don't think that he's made a bad movie. And I know know the ones that are coming up a lot better. And I know that they're all some of my favorites. So um, I was happy to revisit this one and find that it did a lot more for me now. Yeah. Um, yeah. I love this one. Uh, one of the better Wes Andersons. I know a lot of people have this as their favorite of his. I wouldn't go that far personally, but yeah, I, I, would that, I would get it. Because uh, there's a lot to like here. I think these characters really work. Um, I, I really like Clooney as I, I like animated heist movies. I think that's the thing is more we need more animated heist movies. Um, yeah, a lot of great dynamics. Just this is perfect fall vibes. Uh, Payson. Yeah, uh, this isn't my favorite Wes Anderson movie, but it's my second favorite. And I, I would stand by. I think this is his funniest movie, like joke for joke, like the stuff that is just just the constant quips of all the characters I think are great. Um, I think like the bit of like Willem Dafoe's character just hiding out in the cider in the cider cellar, and then like, every time uh, they cut to him, just this like intense music starts playing. Uh, I, I really love I really love the relationship between Ash and Christopherson, and like Ash is like this like he's he's this guy that never really could like succeed in many things, and Christopherson seems like the guy that would be sort of like the douchey cousin in most other movies, but he's really like a really nice guy, even though he is like the more skilled of the two family members. And then at the end, when you see Ash, like do all the whack back techniques to get uh, his dad out of the, uh, the situation with the farmers. And then, yeah, like that ending, it's, it's just pure joy. Uh, excellent soundtrack. Excellent movie. Yeah. Wonderful thing. Uh, yeah. Uh, Jack. Yeah, this is a really good movie. Uh, not my favorite of Wes Anderson's movies. Uh, though I've only seen like three or four. Uh, but yeah, no, it's uh, it, it's a very good movie. Haven't seen and it. Nick? Uh, yeah, this is the first Wes Anderson film I also saw. Um, I saw this on a plane trip from Bali uh, back in 2009. And I remember going, I wanted to watch it because I liked the book. I was a big fan of... Um, it's real dull, right? Am I just yeah. not blanking? Am I, I was like, am I going to just com completely confuse my children's authors uh, right now? Uh, yeah, I remember liking the book, and I liked Roald Dahl's um, other stuff. And I remember watching and just going like, this isn't 
what I was expecting. It's it's made by someone who has a style, and I can understand that, and they wanted to make it this way, but I just don't understand it. And then as I got older and realized Wes Anderson, who he was, and what type of films he makes, watching it again, I sort of, it all uh, clicked together, and I just was like, this is just really fun and a fantastic animated film that, honestly, in my opinion, should have won the Oscar. Uh, well, that's, a, I guess, a whole other discussion that we could have, but um, it's a really fantastic film, and just Wes Anderson just showing that he... Like Yomo and other filmmakers, you know, you can go into animation and make something really, really fantastic. Uh, it's also my second favorite uh, West Anderson film. And I forgot to mention, too, that uh, in the middle of the movie that just stops and has Jarvis Cocker do a sing-along about what's going on in the movie, which, like, every movie should have that, in my opinion. I forgot that that was in the movie. <laughs> yeah. No, that's valid. Jason, uh, over to you. Yeah, uh, I'm going to go with a movie that is technically a 2022 film, even though I think with like release dates and the fact that it wasn't nominated for Oscars, I think it will probably be counted as a 2023 film. Uh, it's a movie called Return to Soul. It just came out over here in Arizona. Uh, it's a super small movie from uh, South Korea, and essentially what it's about, it's about a uh, South Korean woman. She's around 25 years old, and she was adopted by a French family. And she is returning to South Korea years later with time to essentially meet her family and meet uh, just her culture around her and essentially just what that would do to someone um, being in one country for so long and, and having that be your identity and then going back to where your identity is supposed to be and just how that affects with people. Um, I think this is a really touching like like movie about just like finding yourself and like the world and not knowing where your place is. There's this one scene where like the main character is just in a club and just dancing. And it's, it's, it's an incredible uh, scene in the movie. Um, it, it really is the emotional elements. Like towards the end of the movie, I was really just kind of feeling sad. Like, cause like I've had these thoughts of like, man, what is my purpose in the world as a whole? And I don't want to spoil what happens, but I think it has a really touching conclusion. And yeah, weirdly, stuff like this reminds me that, like, I do think the Oscars do have a point because I think the fact that this movie wasn't nominated for anything means that a lot of people won't check it out. And I think that's a shame, but I recommend anyone check this movie out. I have not seen this yet. Uh, Scott, have you seen this? I really want to see it. It's coming to my indie theater next month. I will be that's checking great. it out. Uh, Jack, I'm going to guess you have not seen this. No, but I almost went to see it at my local indie theater this last week. I just couldn't find the time. Jake, did this make its way to Australia yet? Absolutely not. Uh, I, don't, I remember when Paul, Paul was telling me uh, to, to watch this movie when I, whenever I had the chance. So, yeah. That is fair. Well, uh, we'll move forward. Uh, we will go to Jack. Jack. Sorry. Oh, to, okay, to me. Sorry, I just cut out for Canadian a summer. second there. Right, uh, we're good. Uh, yeah. So I've been watching uh, a couple of uh, Scorsese's movies uh, this last week, and when you think Scorsese, you think like mob movies and uh, uh, crime movies and uh, whatnot. You don't usually think of his uh, um, religious, uh, like movies centering around religion. However, Silence is one of his better like it's my second favorite of his movies i've seen to be fair i haven't seen very many but man silence is incredible uh garfield is giving 
an incredible performance. His best performance of that year. I, I, I like Hacksaw Ridge well enough, but man, his performance in Silence is something else. Uh, it's one of the most emotional experiences I've had watching a movie in a very long time. I hadn't seen it since uh, like 2016, 2017, whenever it was on Netflix uh, up here uh, at first. Uh, and I remembered basically nothing about it, but I was absolutely emotionally destroyed by it this time around. Uh, not that I wasn't last time, it's just I, ha I couldn't remember anything uh, about the movie. And uh, Kachichiro is one of, uh, uh, one of the most tragic uh, characters I've seen in a long time. Uh, I, I love Liam Neeson's role, uh, his small role that he's got in the movie incredible uh yeah i didn't expect to love it as much as i did because i didn't particularly love it the first time i saw it but man what an incredible film uh yeah no uh silence is a fantastic film it is i i hadn't seen it until two years ago and uh i i think it's fantastic like it asks so many questions about faith and the nature of doing good and it also just has incredible cinematography and great performances i think garfield that might be his best performance period i think he is phenomenal in that movie liam neeson's really good uh and like kieran hines and um uh and driver are great but yeah fantastically well-directed movie i think it's only like my ninth favorite scorsese but like it's scorsese so like that's that doesn't you know mean much uh because like my three through my my like five through nine are probably all pretty interchangeable but anyway uh jake thoughts on silence uh there are scorsese films i have seen and there's scorsese films i haven't seen and silence is unfortunately a film in the latter category wow uh scott yeah dis i'm a disgrace i haven't seen it either i know i really mm -hmm. want to know Yeah, uh, I have seen it, and I this is one of my absolute favorite uh, Scorsese films. Uh, just it's one that I can't really watch um, or like watch too many times, just because it it is such a hard watch to get through. But it is such a powerful film about like showing like what faith can mean to people and what breaking uh, that faith, how how much like. That can take a toll on you and just, just every torture scene i think is just insane but um i i think it's a wonderful wonderful film that is fair uh well now we will go over to jake jake what is your first pick uh so favorite film i watched this week this is a weird one because i haven't really had any like standouts as far as like what i would say is the best but i mean the one that i'm going based on my rating and also the one that i just remember having fond feelings for uh i i'm assuming this may have been talked about on this uh the show before uh, i'm going with 2011's uh warrior uh i just think that as far as my favorite movies to deal with uh just brothers and their relationships with their fathers like warrior is one of the best ones and one of my favorite ones it's it's real. This 
should have made like so much more money and should have been way much more of an Oscar contender than it was. Um, I think just the relationship between uh, Joe Egerton and Tom Hardy is really fantastic. Like they don't even meet each other. We don't see them uh, interact until like just before the, uh, the Sparta tournament uh, starts. And that whole uh, conversation that they have, I just think is really great. But you have that whole montage um, of them prepping for the tournament. I just think also the fights are really well done. It's not too showy. It's, it's most of the time the camera is out of the ring, but it lets you just see what's going on. Um, and it's just, it's all these emotions heightened to 11 and you easy, it's easy to connect to and easy to relate to. And the way Nolte also just like, I love, I'm the, cra I'm the crazy psycho who loves him in Hulk. Um, but I'm not going to deny that I do love his nomination here for uh, for warrior and he uh is just, yeah truly fantastic in this film i i, I totally get with uh, cody on this just great stuff and an ending that i just think is really triumphant like even regardless of it doesn't really matter who wins at that point the fact that they are like they reconcile and their their father's proud of them i just think is really really gets to what the movie's trying to be about and yeah the whole idea behind just brotherhood and just brothers is a really really strong uh theme for this movie uh yeah just absolutely fantastic stuff and guys remember beethoven beethoven yeah um that took me a second to remember what you were referencing <laughs> uh yeah no uh this is this is a, a great movie fantastically uh, well-made movie um i'm i'm not a sports guy and i really like this movie i like how this is essentially like it, it uses the same setup as, as heat right but just with a, a brother dynamic of you've got these two characters who are the best and they rarely meet and they've got their own conflicts going on and they meet in one scene but in this case that one scene is really the emotional climax of the movie and i think that's brilliant and i also think like the way their fighting styles are different are really interesting um, and like how they kind of represent themselves as people. I think it's fascinating. So yeah, I'm not a fourth movie guy, but this rules. Uh, Payson? I have not seen this one, but I really want to. Scott? Another one I've disgracefully not seen, Finding the Blind Spots. Jack? Uh, yeah, sorry, Cameron Holzman, but I still have to see this movie. Wow. Surprised we all haven't seen it. <laughs> yeah, that was I. I'm the one who's seen the sports. Yeah, flag. <laughs> I don't like him. Sports flag hanging on his wall hasn't what, seen it. What's even crazier is my favorite movie I logged this week is also a sports movie. Three. Um, I I've really dug Creed three. I will go as so far as to say it is my favorite Rocky film that is not the first one. Um, I really dug Creed three. I think that it. Like Creed One, I liked the emotional, like personal aspects, and the same way I feel about you know the Rocky movie as a whole, which is I like Rocky the person. I don't really care that much about the boxing. Creed Two, it was kind of the opposite. I cared more about the actual boxing stuff than I really cared about what was going on uh, with uh, Donnie. And then Creed Three, I feel like I cared the most about both of them. Like this movie, I really. I think because they're so tied together and so much of it is about going back to Donnie's past and like kind of learning what's going on with Dane. And I think Majors is just so good and might be my favorite villain of the franchise. Um, 
And in that final fight is, I think, just so brilliantly done where we are visually like, like this is not a spoiler, so I think it's okay to bring this up. There's a part in the fight where, like, okay, fair enough. There's a part in the fight where um, jail bars are brought into the boxing ring to like visually represent different things, and we see them as like younger kids. And I think that is just so fascinating to watch. Um, uh, but yeah, incredible final fight. Um, yeah, I really dug it, uh, Jake. Me? Yeah. Well, you haven't seen it. I don't know why. I, well, there, I haven't seen it mainly because um, my dad. I want to watch it with my dad. That this and the Fast and Furious uh, franchise, uh, like the two franchises, I'll take my dad to see with every new entry. And we just haven't been able to schedule a day. We have yeah. now next week, uh, so I have had to wait two weeks. Uh, like a good little boy uh, before everyone else. Uh, but, so yeah, that's. And I'm also watching the whole films because the sequels I've never seen. So. Okay. Uh, uh, Jack, uh, I'm waiting until I've seen Creed two to see it. So that's fair. Not- I did not watch Creed two until last week. Uh, so yeah, Payson. Uh, yeah, talked about it last week on Logged It. Talked about it last week on Cinemasters Review, which you can watch from the video store every Monday, ADST Live. Uh, so all I will say is anime. Uh, Scott. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there are some things I really like about the movie, like like the fight sequences. The, the final fight scene, as you said, is spectacular. Really, you know, speaks to Michael B. Jordan's eye as a director. Obviously, Jonathan Majors also is kind of incredible um, in his performance as the villain, although it's more complicated than that, which I like. Um, I do think there's some things that don't work about the movie for me. Um, I think, like, the central theme of well, you don't necessarily have to fight to resolve all your problems in life. I think it gets a little bit confused by where the movie wants to go. Um, I also think there's some weird pacing in the middle. Certain things happen, big things happen pretty quickly. Um, and in general, I loved Creed 2, and I thought that the finale of Creed 2 is just such an amazing emotional payoff for like the whole Rocky franchise. I just think like coming back with a self-contained story and everything, like it was well done, but it just, it doesn't capture the same high. Like I do agree with the people who say maybe Creed two should have been the third movie and this should have been the second movie. Obviously you would have had to shuffle some things around with the plot details, but like, I just think that would make more sense. Like have more of a through line. Fair enough. Well, now we go over to our least favorite movie. We vlog this week. Scott, we will start back with you. All right, so I'm exploring deeper into the the filmography of one of my favorite actresses, Kristen Stewart. Um, and there's some bad films in there. Um, I'm not just talking about Twilight. Um, there's a film that I watched from 2007, I believe, called In the Land of Women. Um, yeah, I don't know if any of you have heard of this movie, but... Um, it's directed by Jonathan Kasdan, who is related to Lawrence Kasdan somehow, maybe his son. Uh, but it's a very strange, very mid-2000s movie um, in, in one regard, because it stars Adam Brody, right, at the, start, at the height of his OC powers. And he plays a guy who, he plays a writer for, like, uh, adult films. Um, and he decides he's not happy with his life. He goes to live with his grandmother in Michigan, who's played by Olympia Dukakis, um, ostensibly to take care of her. 
But instead of taking care of her, he ends up just like hanging out with the neighbors the whole time. The neighbors being Meg Ryan um, and her husband, Clark Gregg, and her daughter, Kristen. Kristen Stewart is her older daughter, and then there's a younger daughter as well. Um, very odd movie. Um, one of the plot points is that like after Adam Brody arrives, um, Meg Ryan is like begging Kristen Stewart, her 16-year-old daughter, to take Adam Brody to the movies, and he's 27. Um, and her, you know, like I said, 16, 27. She's like begging her daughter basically to take him out on a date. Later, she takes him to a college party or to a high school party as like her date. And they also share a kiss. It's uh, weird vibes. But also, another element of this movie is that Meg Ryan has breast cancer because, of course, it's just an overwrought 2000 soap opera drama movie. And the, the you know, climactic scene, one of the climactic scenes is she's standing outside in the pouring rain. And Adam Brody comes out like, what are you doing out here in the pouring rain? And she just goes, I have breast cancer. Like, it was a full-on room on, uh, homage. Like, um, and then they kiss in the middle of the rain. Meg Ryan and Adam Brody. Um, yeah, the, the vibes are very, very horrendous with this movie. Adam Brody, actually, he does the best that he can. But, like, the character is so bad. It's like, oh, I'm God's gift to women. Like, this guy who writes adult films. And I'm going to show up and teach these you know, people some some things about their own lives that they couldn't realize on their own. Um, yeah, avoid this movie. Kristen Stewart's part also is is really she just is a booty teenager who like is, has a crush on the quarterback. Um, no, I think it's safe to assume nobody here has seen this one. <laughs> I assume Adam. Bur on behalf of Michael Campbell, I just have this. I'm assuming Adam Brody is the best in that movie and gives the best performance. At, uh, he is 100. Uh, yeah, <laughs> like not even not even joking. He he is. Yeah. The land of women sounds like hey, a land of women. Okay, okay. Uh, yeah. Uh, I decided to uh, like Scott. I'm exploring the filmography of one of my favorite actors, and that is a uh, David Spade. Uh, everything I just said is a lie, but I did watch Joe Dirt, and what a piece of shit movie this is. Uh, in case you have not seen Joe Dirt, uh, this was a remnant of the early 2000s, so Jake might actually like it. But, um, yeah, so essentially what this movie is, uh, the title character, Joe Dirt, he lost his family as a young kid. He goes on a radio show, and he starts explaining his life about how he's going to uh, find his family. It just hits every, like, happy Madison gross-out thing you would, accept, you would expect from this era, except it's, like, the, like, redneck, like elements are turned up to 11 like there's a scene where like a like a dog's balls get frozen to the ground and like they're just super stretchy and the dog just stretches around it's like we love to see that uh there's this weird subplot that goes on for like five minutes about how he may or may not have had sex with his sister uh because he keeps pranking the radio host by telling him that hey this is my sister i slept with and then he's like what it's like uh, Watkins, Christopher Watkins in this movie, he's actually pretty good. Uh, there's a scene where, like, Joe Dirt, like, accidentally blows up, like, a Native American refugee camp, and then you realize it's in a dream, so you can't quite cancel David Spade, but it's bad. It's a bad movie. Hey, you're talking my guy all wrong. He's throwing <laughs> home. But again, he's in the face of the soldering iron. That's the only thing I know about this movie. Uh, yeah. Scott, have you seen it? Absolutely not. <laughs> Jack, 
When I worked at Walmart, I saw this in the $5 movie bin, and I read the back, and I thought, nah, I think I'm okay. Jake, have you seen this? Uh, I have, for one, and one and only one reason, a uh, blank check. Uh, That's why I want movie. Yeah. Uh, Specifically, uh, as they do every year, producer Ben gets a uh, Ben's choice, and this is the movie he picked. Uh, yeah, this movie sucks. Uh, it's terrible. Crystal Walken is the best part about the movie. There's a whole bit where he's essentially in a witness protection program, and he keeps saying he's from Kansas, even though he sounds like a monster from New York. It's actually quite funny. Um, and he also threatens, as you said, but he threatens to uh, stab Kid, Kid Rock uh, in the face of a uh, soldering iron. And it's, it's great. It's what you want. Um, he had a point it's there. Not it's, he's got a, yeah, I'm actually, I'm with <laughs> Crystal, I'm with Crystal Walken there. Um, it's terrible. It's bad. I don't need to like say anything more. It's just not great. Yeah. Uh, so now we will go over to uh, Jack. Jack, what is your least favorite movie along this week? You know, I'm, I'm going to go a little further back than a week just because I think the uh, lowest rated movie I watched this week was Four Stars. So I'm going to go a little further back to when I watched Cat Baloo. And uh, my goodness, is this a piece of shit movie? Uh, I, I forget the dude's name. Lee Marvin, I think is his name. Uh, one best actor for this movie. And that's a joke uh, that... It, it has to be a joke. Uh, it's not. Uh, this movie is just trash. Uh, I would give it half a star. There, there's not a single thing that I really like about this movie. Uh, the only somewhat redeemable thing is that it has Nat King Cole in it. But even he's kind of annoying. Uh, no, it's just... it's a we, It is... The tone of this movie is so weird. Uh, there, I don't like a single one of the performances, and like I said before, the fact that one best actor is a joke. Uh, it's my lowest rated best actor winning performance. I, uh, I think I've purged most of that from my memory anyway. So, yeah, that's Cat Baloo for you, I guess. Yeah, uh, I think I've brought this movie up on the show before. Um, oh. Also, as my least favorite movie, I logged this week. Uh, Cause it's bad. Jane Fonda's bad. Lee Marvin's bad. The song is bad. Pretty much everything about it's pretty bad. Um, yeah, no, it. I. It's trying to be like a weird comedy. I think sort of not really. Maybe it's it's, it's weird. There's like fourth wall breaking narrators who come in and sing about all, everything that's going on, and they're just kind of there. And it's, it's bad. Don't watch it. You don't need to. Um, Jake. I'm going to assume you haven't seen this. No. I knew Lee Marvin won an Oscar. I knew of this movie. I didn't know it was for this movie. And that still doesn't make me have any interest in watching this movie. Yep. Um, Payson? I got a trivia question right about this movie, but I've never seen it. And Scott? Lee Marvin's a good actor, but he very well may be bad in this movie. I haven't seen it. I, I, I like Lee Mar Like, you look at something like The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance, and he's yeah. very good in that. He does not get to play a character at all like he gets to play in that. He has to play a funny drunk. Mm -hmm. And uh, it is maybe the worst drunk acting. He has, to play, he has to play basically the Marshall character from uh, The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance. Yes. That's what you're yes, saying. That is exactly it. That is exactly it. Liberty Valance. Liberty Valance. <laughs> yeah. Andy, good old Andy to be. Uh, yeah. 
Anyway, uh, now we'll move on to Jake. Jake, what's your least favorite movie log this week? So, like Jack, I'm slightly going back uh, just over a week, just only by one day. I hope that's that's not crazy. Um, mainly just because I've been watching nothing terrible. All of the movies I've been watching are either four, uh, three and a half stars or more. So, I'm going just back to one more day uh, to talk about a movie. That I'm assuming maybe it's been talked about on this uh, show. I'm um, Cocaine Bear. I watched Cocaine Bear uh, last week, uh, and I found it all right. Um, I didn't hate it. I just wish that it, there was a lot more potential to what this movie could have been. And the advertisement and the title, and obviously Elizabeth Banks has been playing up that this is not a super serious film. It sort of knows what kind of movie it is. And I agree to a certain extent. Half of the movie definitely has that sort of... Weird, just making something that's fun, uh, specifically the, uh, the whole subplot with Alden Ehrenreich and uh, O'Shea Jackson Jr. I find that stuff to be really funny and to the movie's tone that it wants to be. But the whole shit with Kerry Russell and the two kids, I could not give a fuck about. I don't need Kerry Russell's, you know, trying to... I like Kerry Russell. I don't want to diss on her, but she is just given absolutely nothing to do. Like, I... Her, nothing as far as like her character and as the actress Carrie Russell to play with this movie. Um, it's just a, I need to find my daughter. She's in this forest with this bear that's on cocaine. It's nothing really to it, uh, but it does have some ideas. Um, like there's the whole chase with the ambulance that I thought was quite fun with um, the Scots uh, Scott Sice. I think it's the guy's name, uh, the TikTok guy who had made some really good stuff uh, a couple years ago. Um, I just wish it had, and, and it was also just really cool to see Ray Liotta back. Um, like this is, his, I think this is his last movie, so it was sort of uh, bittersweet to see him in one final movie, even if it is for something like this. He's at least uh, being, well, at least we see portraying a character that we'd like to see Ray, Ray Liotta portray, and he's also he's somewhat with the movie at least, uh, maybe a little bit darker, but um, I found it okay. I just wish that there was a lot more that it could have done as far as its potential wise. Uh, Payson? Yeah, I I like this movie. This movie worked for me. It, I, I didn't, like, love it, but, like, the stuff that I found to be fun, I really did find fun. Like Jake said, the stuff with O'Shea Jackson Jr. and Alden Ehrenreich was probably my favorite stuff. I also loved the stuff with uh, Isaiah Whitlock Jr. as, like, the cop. I think he has a, uh, uh, quite a bit funny stuff. Um, yeah, uh, there are some really cool kills in it that I that I enjoyed, but, yeah, like, if, if the, the movie is called Cocaine Bear. I, I feel like you know what you're going to get if you go into this movie, and that is just like a fun time, but I totally get it. It didn't work for you. What I will say is after this movie, when the t when the ending card it literally just says dedicated to Ray Liotta, I did feel a little dirty watching this movie because this is a weird movie for a dedication to be on. Okay. Um, yeah, uh, I have not seen this. Uh, Scott? I'll watch it when it comes to streaming. I haven't seen it yet. Jack? I haven't seen it yet, but if I can make time for it, I will. That's fair. Okay, well, now it's my turn. And to be honest, I don't watch anything like below three and a half stars. It was a pretty good week for movies for me. Um, in terms of actual movies. So I'm going to bend the rules a little bit. Because I did log this. So I'm allowing it. I watched all the live action and animated shorts that were nominated at the Oscars. That's fair. 
And the Flying Sailor. The worst one. Very bad. Uh, this is an animated short. Uh, basically, I'm going to give you the whole thing. A sailor is next to dynamite. It blows up. He's naked now, flying through space. And then he comes back down. And that's, that's the full thing. Uh, it sucks. It's, it, it was it was very bad. I, I had a very bad time with it. Um, yeah. Has anyone... I know Payson has. Did anyone else see this? I don't really watch the shows. No. Payson? I'll just quote what I said on my Letterboxd review where this feels like someone had a school assignment to make an animated short. They waited till the last night and they made this as quickly as they can because it's eight minutes. And it's just some guy naked, dong flapping in the wind, just flying through the sky, thinking about life. And yeah, it's 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 the weakest short. It was so funny because I watched them in theaters. So before the last one was my year of dicks, where there was like a, a big like disclaimer in front of it. They're like, if there are any children in the audience, they should leave now. And I was just thinking like. So it was fine letting him watch the, the sailor flop around with his with his penis, but not they they can't. So it was just very funny that there wasn't a disclaimer for that one for this one, but there was a disclaimer for another one. But yeah, um, now we will go to the meat and potatoes of the show, meta movies. So, um, Jake, I'm gonna let you start. Oh boy. Um, yeah, so I mean, there's I love meta movies and I love just the idea behind them and what they what they're about. Um, uh, there's there's many that I'm a fan of, but do I just want to go with one that I? Uh, yeah, I'm gonna go with. I'm worried if I don't get it now, Jack will take it. I kind of I mean, doesn't know. matter. You then you get more picks if Jack yeah. takes what you were gonna say. But, a good point yeah i'm gonna go with just one of my favorites uh i'm gonna go with michael haneke's uh funny games uh, i'm specifically going with funny games us aka the 2007 remake shot for shot remake uh the one time it was done perfectly uh i i want to say uh yeah the way the reason why he remade michael haneke remade his own movie uh, specifically came from the fact that originally when he made it in 97 he wanted it to be uh, made in America and just for financial reasons and just you know at the time he just couldn't get it uh, made there so he decided that well I've got a little bit more carp lunch I've won best director at Cannes uh, I'm gonna just make I'm gonna do it again uh, this time it's gonna be with American actors or it's gonna be with English speaking actors I should say Naomi Watts uh, and uh, uh, Tim Roth uh, Brady Corbett uh, and Michael Pitt uh, all fantastic and basically this is the, it's almost a fuck you movie in a sense because it's an invasion film where you are not wait where what you expect to happen as far as what you know from from just knowing movies and oh this is the part where they escape or this is the part where they're able to call someone and things change no michael pitt and brady michael pitt specifically i think is so fantastic in this movie he it's one of those films where even if you I don't want to really go too much in the spoilers on what this movie is, but he essentially knows he's in a movie and the way he plays with the camera, like he'll smile at the camera or he'll just immediately, he'll just talk to the audience. Like, what do you think? Do you think they su they'll survive? What's your, what, what do you, where do you stand on this? Um, and there's a moment, uh, you know, two thirds into the movie where 
it completely pulls the rug under you as far as what happens and it's sort of uh, dirty in that sense but what the movie is trying to be and also it's about just america's uh, americans expectations on violence and not necessarily cliches but how they view films i think is really fantastic and it's one of those films where you need uh, an austrian auteur to be able to you know tell you like what how movies are and how they can be easily manipulated for uh for, for audiences and uh it's just one of those films that every time i watch it i just get more and more out of it and i've seen the movie like five six times at this point um it's just an, a fantastic film that uh, i wish a lot of people saw uh yeah uh, i haven't seen this uh piece i own the 90s version on criteria but i have yet to watch it i really really want to uh scott i have seen this one i have not seen the the original but i have seen this one um it just it upsets me when you say you watch it five or you've watched it five or six <laughs> times that i mean i know you jake so it's not you know it's not that crazy but for the average person i feel like that would be crazy just because um it is very confrontational and i i appreciate that it is you know successful in what it is trying to achieve and well made and i like all the performances i mean i love naomi watts and everything so um yeah she's great no desire to ever watch it again. I don't even know how I would begin to rate this movie or something on Letterboxd because it, it is the definition of like, you know, appreciating, understanding what the artistic vision, but it not connecting with me emotionally at all. Nick? Uh, yeah, no, uh, don't worry, Jake. I too have seen uh, a handful of movies five or more times that people uh, most other people only watch once. Uh, but no, uh, I haven't seen this almost entirely because I've had the uh, big rug pull of this movie spoiled for me. Uh, so uh, after knowing that, I really didn't have much of a desire to watch it. So, uh, And Jack, we'll go to you. What is your first pick? All right. Uh, yeah, I, I'm just going to gonna go with this. Uh, I really like Wes Craven, and no, I'm not picking Scream. Uh, I'm picking the one he did before, with, uh, Wes Craven's New Nightmare. Uh, he's a director I really want to explore more uh, from his filmography. Uh, uh, I think this is a really interesting way to uh, do a nightmare movie. Uh, Heather Langkamp is back, and she in this movie, and she's awesome uh she's easily the best part of uh of the third one uh, other than of course robert england but uh and of this one as well uh just an just an awesome uh uh way to uh do uh do a new uh spin on the nightmare formula and uh of course you have great performances from robert england uh who plays both himself and the uh, Freddy Krueger demon uh, uh, figure. Uh, it's been a minute since I've seen this, but uh, you've got another great performance from Heather Langkamp in this. Uh, everyone involved is great. Wes Craven's got a, a fun small role uh, in this one. And yeah, it, it, it's got some of the best kills in the franchise. So uh, it's definitely one of my favorite uh, meta movies. 
Uh, yeah, um, I love this one. This is my favorite of the franchise. I think it's really great. And I think the thing that it works is it doesn't come off as jokey, right? Like it's meta, but it still takes itself completely seriously. And it feels honestly, in my opinion, more terrifying than any other nightmare movie. This idea of your fictional creation is now coming back to haunt you. And you really feel that with Heather Landingham's performance. Because she just seemed, she is so good in this and seems so terrified. And nobody believes her and thinks she's insane. And she is so good in this. And she's just looking out for her son. So yeah. No, this is great. Um, yeah. Uh, Payson? Yeah, I really, really like this movie. Uh, I've seen three Nightmare on Elm Street movies, a.k.a. the three good ones. And of them, this one is my favorite. I really do like how it gets into the... how, how it does get into the nitty-gritty of this franchise. I think I think Heather Langenkamp is great in this movie and probably the best performance she's had in these three movies in playing herself. I think she's really fun in this role. Uh, yeah, I think this is a great pick. Uh, Scott? Yeah, I really enjoy this one. Um, I think I still like the first one, the original, slightly more, but um, this is definitely a close second. Um, yeah, I, I agree with what everyone said. The meta elements are really great. It's cool to see um, him experimenting with this before Scream. I saw somebody saying that um, like the next Scream movie or, or going forward in the Scream franchise, they need to like do a new Nightmare style thing with like Nev Campbell or whoever playing herself, um, you know, and, and go fully in on it, like as a homage to the new Nightmare, which I think could be fun. I mean, they've done a good job so far of, uh, you know, rebooting the Scream franchise. So I'm here for it. But yeah, this is a great one. Uh, Jake? Uh, I have always been a Freddy kid uh, growing up. Freddy was my favorite of the slasher franchises from the 80s. Um, I remember watching all of them in like a weekend. Uh, and weirdly enough, I watched it before Scream, not knowing that they were the same directors. Um, but to be fair, I'm 11, 12 when, I watch, when I'm watching these. And I'm glad I did because New Nightmare just is really... I was not expecting it to have this meta narrative uh, that completely just redefined what the whole idea behind the franchise was um i do think heather Leggingham is like fantastic in this movie um we're interesting and this is something where life imitates art imitates life sort of situation she's in real life she's married to a vfx artist and in the movie her husband is a vfx artist uh which i find you know just allow fully allowing yourself to uh into the art that you're making um also just Wes craven it's really it's really cool that we get to see him in the movie and he's playing himself like i'm trying uh, new line wants me to make another movie and it's just all this sort of stuff where i'm just like it's really cool that we get to see uh you know how the how the uh how the sausage is made made so to speak and uh how it really just parallels with the making of this movie in that sort of oh and she gets the script of We've all seen it, right? So we've, she gets the script at the end of the movie, and it's exactly how this movie plays out. Um, good stuff. Yeah. Great movie. Yeah. Um, so I believe that's everyone for New Nightmare. We're going to go to me. And I know we've kind of mainly go, gone for movies that are, at least so far, kind of about the movies. And this one is still about the movie itself, but I'm, I'm going in a little bit of a different direction here. 
I'm kind of going with a film that's about product placement culture and about, you know, kind of the, the corporate machine while still representing that corporate machine in a really unique way, and especially in the way it uses its IP. I'm going with the 2001 film, Josie and the Pussycats. Oh. I know is maybe not what people expected me to bring up, but I think that this film is super well-written, super clever, super meta. Uh, like there are scenes talking about like mindless product placement, and then we cut immediately to a montage of mindless product placement. And there are so many other things like that. About basically, the film is a corporate commercial while also being against the corporate commercials and direct. That's the joke. Like it, there are so many movies that do this, but do it as like they just don't realize that they're doing. You know that oh like. For example, I think of the Disney Channel movie Lemonade Mouth. It's like, oh, we got to bash against the corporate guys, but also we're a corporation high Disney Channel. Like, you know, that type of thing. This movie is that, but it knows it's that and is clever, and that's the joke. And it's super well written. Erica Posey is super funny in this. This is just an incredibly smart movie. That I, I remember the whole time I was watching it, it was like, how is this good? Was my reaction like, wh- how how is this this clever and this good? Uh, Payson, have you seen Josie and the Pussycats? I've not, but so many people have told me that I that it's really really good that I need to watch it. Scott, it rocks. Uh, I'm pretty sure I drafted like Parker Posey's character when we did comedy villains, I think, like a while back on the show. Um, yeah, she's so great. Alan Cumming also, like, they're both awesome villains in the movie. And yeah, I, I think it totally fits within the theme. I, I think that's a that's a good pick. Yeah, it's a lot more subversive than people think. But also, you know, you have the songs, which are great. You have Adam Schlesinger uh, from Fountains of Wayne writing the... Um, it's which song it's pretend to be nice is the one that he writes but all the songs yeah. throughout the movie are are great but um yeah this movie people it doesn't get the the love it deserves for sure jack i haven't seen this one yet so but uh, you mentioned parker posey and after a couple of her movies i'm really excited to watch more of her uh, she's very good. jake uh, it's been a while since I've seen this, but I, I do love this movie a lot. Um, I do not to go too much in the spoilers for Parker Posey, but her sort of what she, her grand scheme is is just great. Um, it's simple but just perfect for the character. Um, the songs rule. Um, I do think that it has a really interesting. It's it's more of a commentary on yeah on product placement and advertisement, and also just the music industry and how the whole idea behind it is conformity and how studios uh studios and companies will try to uh brainwash uh the young people of america there's that one uh scene where they're in the uh the music store and alan cummings sees the girl who bought get some like indie music it's like this really speaks to my emotions it's like non-conformists it's all that sort of stuff i find really good but yeah uh this is a great movie as far as like the meta film goes um yeah uh so now payson over to you yeah, I I watched a certain movie today uh, just to be ready for a conversation in case it comes up. I'm not going to pick it for my first pick, so if anyone else wants to pick that one, we can talk about that one. Uh, but I'm me. I need to pick this movie. Uh, it's 
2002's Spike Jones, Charlie Kaufman collaboration adaptation. Uh, this is one of my favorite movies of all time. It's one of my favorite movies about movies. Just the pure fact that Charlie Kaufman was in a stage of writer's block. And instead of trying to adapt the book he was said to, to write, he just says, fuck it. I'm just going to make a movie about my writer's block and just put this existential crisis I'm having into the movie. The fact that he writes his own character, he, he writes himself into the movie for Nicolas Cage to play Charlie Kaufman, I think is incredible. I think Nicolas Cage is great as both Charlie and Donald. Like whenever the two characters are talking, you know exactly which character is which. And I think that's spectacular. Um, the scene everyone knows from this movie with Brian Cox just yelling at a, a, a crowd of aspiring script writers about how you can't, you, you shouldn't use um, narration, like monologue narration while the movie is having monologue narration going on. I think it's just genius. Um, there was a time on Letterboxd, like I once read a review and I was about to be the biggest douche in the world, but I realized I couldn't do it because I would come off as a douche where the review said, wow, you know, I was really liking the movie, but I think it really lost itself in the third act. And I realized if I tried to explain why it did that, I would sound like a huge douche. So I decided to not do that. But yeah, I adore this film. Uh, yeah, uh, Scott? I still haven't seen it, ashamedly. Again, these are some, some bad picks for me tonight. Jack? Uh, it's one that I really want to get to. I just haven't seen it yet. Jake? Uh, I absolutely love this movie. It's still in my top 100. Uh, this is sort of... I, this might be my introduction, or at least my my start. the start of my love of meta films was reading the plot synopsis to this film and going, holy, holy shit. And I think I'd seen being John Malkovich at this point, so I knew Spike Jones. I think her, if I go through the timeline, I'd seen her at this point, and I love that movie um so watching adaptation is just it is as someone who as would like to get into the film industry is just like a wet dream of yeah this is it's these are the struggles that everyone's going to deal with writer's block is something that absolutely can happen um the opening line of the movie through narration is is there an original thought inside my head like it, it really just it sets up what what you're expecting the movie is going to be um, also, shout out Donald Kaufman, uh, Charlie's uh, fictional brother. He's great in the movie. I think we also just need to talk about Nick Cage. Uh, this is this is my this is my favorite performance by him. Just uh, absolutely, just think he's fantastic, and in my opinion, should have won the Oscar. Uh, but also, just the way the movie plays with originality versus uh, entertainment and artistic integrity and mindless consumption you know sometimes it's just you want to make just a nice little crime thriller um but then also charlie coffin's not that type of writer he wants to make something that really speaks to people and uh is remembered uh but how do you do that when you have uh, a book when you're adapting a book that has no plot um also what um what Payson was saying with Brian Cox, there's the conversation that he has with Charlie Coffin where he's like, don't ever add a deus ex machina. Not to go into spoilers, but uh, there's a yeah. deus ex machina in the end of the movie. It really plays into what the movie's about. There's a point, like, what I really love in the, not to go too much in the spoilers, Donald Coffin says, I'll look at the script. I'll, like, see if I can add anything. And then the movie sort of shifts into a written by Donald Coffin sort of movie, um, which I didn't even notice on the first viewing. It was the second and third, where I was like, interesting um but the movie just plays with that sort of stuff and it's just absolutely fun and fantastic and is uh one of the best of the 2000s 
Oh yeah, no, I love this movie. I think, yeah, like everything you guys have said, it is so, it is about the creative process, right? I think, I think, and I believe, I truly believe this is a movie that works even if you have no idea who Charlie Kaufman is. If you think that this movie is just written by some guy and you don't know who Charlie Kaufman is and you're, it's just, you're watching a character who eventually writes the movie that he was in, I think no matter what, it's just a fascinating. I want. I don't even want to call it experiment because it feels too good to be called an experiment. It's just, it's just so unique and so brilliant. I love it. Uh, so Scott, uh, over to you. Well, Jake just mentioned it. We just mentioned a Spike Jones Charlie Kaufman movie, but I had I didn't targeted it. <laughs> I had targeted another one for my first pick, so I'm just going to stick with it. <laughs> I am going to pick being John Malkovich as my first pick. Um, yeah, I uh, I watched this movie for the first time a couple of years ago. I, I think I had always thought of it as like, oh, this is some like super like head trip like that, you know, is you'll, you'll never wrap your mind around it. You'll never, you know, be able to understand what's going on in this movie. It's like this really daunting thing. Um, and so I think I hadn't watched it up to that point for that reason. And then I watched it, and this is honestly a really fun movie. Like, it does not get enough credit, I think, for, yes, it does have, you know, there's a lot of psychological stuff going on, but um, it's it's a fun movie to watch. It's an entertaining movie to watch. It's funny, like, the the a lot of the gags, like, early on, like, the, you know, in the being in this the office with the small ceilings and everything, like, you know, Charlie Kaufman probably doesn't get enough credit for being a funny writer. Um and yeah, he, you know, uh, it, it's it's a great movie, but it's also an interesting, you know, has a lot of interesting ideas. It's weirdly sort of ahead of its time about like body dysmorphia and like some of the, you know, contemporary discourse on on that sort of issue and everything that's going on with Cameron Diaz's character, like wanting to be in the body of a man, basically, uh, of John Malkovich. And then you have John Malkovich giving an amazing performance, honestly, um, like really just putting it all out there. Like, you know, as he said, like about the role, is it was a huge risk for his career because he was going to forever be associated with that, whether it was good or bad. And I can't imagine what it must be like to receive the script for this movie. And, you know, right there on the front page is being John Malkovich and, you know, it's it's all centered around someone entering your head. And then John Cusack, the great story is that he told his agent to bring him the most unfilmable, like unproducible script that was out there. And he brought him this movie because he wanted to do it. Um, it all works like uh, it's it's kind of it's a very strange, funny and kind of beautiful movie in the end um, about, you know, human existence, uh, to, to put it very broadly. Um, so I think. If you if you stayed away from this movie because you think it's going to be like too daunting again, like I said, give it a chance because it's honestly a fun movie. Like you will enjoy yourself watching it while you're also thinking about the ideas of it. Malkovich, 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 Malkovich. Malkovich that was the Malkovich. other reason they picked him. The Kaufman picked him because he liked the way that his name sounded. <laughs> Which is honestly, this is really good. Uh, I don't think I'm as quite big on this as some people are, but I do really like it. Uh, I think it's it's a really unique movie. There, I, I think the thing is when it comes to 
weirdness in movies. I like my weirdness in spots, not all the way through. I think there are some decisions that are made that it's it just it feels like the whole movie is weird and I kind of wish the weirdness was just at the at the more Malkovich, you know, mind portal centric parts and kind of not like just there's I, I think the weirdness of a re, of a reality is enhanced when everything else feels normal. And I think with the weirdness of John Cusack's job and all these kind of other things and Cameron Diaz, it's just kind of like we're not really we're bringing more weird into an already weird reality yeah. as opposed to adding weird into a normal reality. But it is still very good and a great pick. Uh, Payson. So, uh, I I was floating back and forth between being John Malkovich and adaptation. I adore this film. The fact that this is only my third favorite Charlie Kaufman film should show you how great of a writer he is. But no, like I think I just love how you are following the worst and most selfish people in the world, and you just love every single minute of it. Like Catherine Keener is playing the worst, like, just a, a sociopathic bitch. And it is incredible just how she completely goes from playing Cameron Diaz to eventually playing John Cusack, and she's always playing John Malkovich. Uh, I love the scenes where John Malkovich is uh, doing drugs with a certain other actor that is famous for doing drugs. I think that's a very, yeah. <laughs> um, I think it's a very funny scene. And I just... Like, towards the end, like, it's weirdly sad the more you think about it. Like, you feel bad for what happens to Malkovich. Like, without spoiling, he, he gets screwed more than any other character, I think, in the movie. At least undeservingly so. Undeservingly <laughs> so. Yeah. Like, I, I adore this film. Yeah, that is completely valid. Uh, so, yeah, uh, over to Scott. That was my pick. Or Jack, I meant. I was I, looking at we're Jack. We're both right here, so that's, that's fair. Uh, yeah, no. Uh, I've gotten exactly two reactions uh, whenever I hear people talk about this movie. They either love it or they think it's one of the worst movies they've ever seen. So, I've uh, and a couple of those people are in my family. So, I have uh, steered, I have been steered clear of that movie up until this point. So, uh, Jake? Uh, yeah, I love this movie. Uh, I when I remember watching it for the first. I think I watched this. I watched this the day uh, of that I was meant to go see her because I was like, well, I haven't seen any Spike Jones movies. I should probably see his first movie. And I remember not liking it. I was more. I was just the the way the movie ends was such a downer for what happens. I, I just was like oh, I don't know if I like can get with what the movie's going for. Couple years later, I rewatch it, and I just it all connects now. Now that I know what, where the movie's going, I sort of just understood what the movie's was trying to be. There's also just, I mean, Charlie Kaufman is a genius. Like he just has so many ideas that you would never have expected. Like the thirteenth floor is, I think it's the, or thirteenth and a half. It's literally half a floor, so everyone is on their knees. It's just one of those ideas that doesn't necessarily need to be in the movie, but the fact that he came up with it and there's a story behind in the movie that they actually had the whole presentation of why it's there's just these ideas that you would just never have assumed would come into fruition and the fact that he just was able to come up with it is just really really fantastic um yeah not to get too much in the spoilers but i uh there's a great youtube video that i watched 
way too often um, with Jordan Peele talking about fan theories behind Get Out. Uh, and one of those theories was that it's connected to the Being John Malkovich universe. Uh, Catherine Keener is in both movies. Um, and not to go too much into spoilers, but uh, the way that uh, the sunken place is sort of uh, used is very similar to the way that people can be into John Malkovich's uh, portal. Um, and Peele was talking about how he mentioned that to Spike Jones at a, at a party and chuckled. And so Peele was like, so in, our, in, our, in my opinion, we're, it's true. Um, but there's just really the ideas of what you can of like and also the fact that uh what's his name i'm blanking on the guy's name that's not joan cusack it's john cusack um the fact that he is a puppeteer and that plays into the movie later in the movie and how that sort of comes into play um and also i always forget but like david fincher plays a character in the movie yes. uh, brad <laughs> has a small cameo um, for like one second one yeah. second he doesn't say anything it's it's like he's been interrupted in in the interview in that sequence um yeah but also just fincher just shows up i mean which him and spike jones make these videos so i get i see i know the connection there but um really good stuff i would like to rewatch this movie um it was nominated for three oscars and uh should have been nominated for more yeah um so now we will go over to uh i believe back to me yeah to you yep <sighs> yeah i was thinking about this and i i kind of want to go a horror movie i feel like horror is sort of the, the genre that really you can play with the meta-ness and even though it's not particularly my favorite one of these type of movies meta films it is the one that i remember watching as a kid and being utterly confused and the more i think about it and the more i watch it the more i'm really into it uh so joe dante made a very successful movie in 84 called gremlins and uh when given the opportunity he to make a sequel he was said i want this amount of money and the studio said no and as they were trying to develop a script for gremlins they could not get it correct so they thought well it must be dante dante must be the reason why this movie works so well so we'll just give him a shit ton of money and we'll give him carte blanche to do whatever he wants he clearly knows how to make a gremlins movie and so here we have Gremlins 2, the new batch, which is basically just making fun of the idea of making sequels, the corporate product films in factory sort of mentality, which is so relevant in today's uh, film industry, the way the MCU is always uh, critically uh, mentioned as being just a factory producing sort of company. Uh, there is a scene in Gremlins 2 where Lennon Moulton reviews the first Gremlins and gives it a bad review, and the Gremlins uh, murder him, and it's great, and he quickly changes his review. It's a 10! It's a 10! It's just good stuff like that. There's the sequence, the basically uh, the fourth wall uh, break where the projector crashes. The Gremlins have infected the projector and are now wrecking havoc, which means that the... Um, the matinee or whatever the fucking the waitress or the waiter guy has to come into the cinema and ask hulk hogan to scare out the gremlins from the movie so we have the scene where he's basically looking at the camera saying if you don't get out of gremlins and rips his shirt off it's that shit i mean it's just one of those things where as a kid i was like what what's going on the, stuff like that i think is really fun you have um the great john glover playing uh clamp uh basically he's playing the trump character um and the way he sort of just sees these gremlins as like toys like oh you tell you tell me this and i just see suction cups on their hands like he has this whole mentality behind the corporateness of it 
Um, really fun movie. That's just really just a parody of the idea of making sequels, and it really just goes out there. It's not what you expect. Um, there was a great little moment where um, the Bat Gremlin uh, crashes through a wall, and it makes the Batman logo like a like it did in the '60s. Shit like that, I just think is really fun. And the movie is just trying. It's not trying at all to be like the first movie. It even references stuff. There's the whole Phoebe Cates like just remember what happened on uh, Lincoln's birthday, like the whole thing with Christmas uh, in the first movie. And you have uh, Gallagher just like, that's no, okay, honey, we'll stop, just stop. We don't want to hit the, the whole uh, monologue. Um, good stuff. I think this movie is just uh, super underrated and great film. That's true. Uh, I have not actually seen this. I've wanted to, though. But the, the, the thing that makes me hesitate is I almost want to watch this when I don't have the first Gremlins in mind at all. Because I do really actually love the first Gremlins, and I don't want to be viewing this as a sequel to Gremlins. I want to be viewing it as, like we said, a meta-commentary on Secret I feel like if I go into this looking for a sequel to Gremlins, I'm going to be very disappointed. Um, maybe that's incorrect. I don't know. Jason, have you seen this? Every time someone describes this movie like Jake just did, it sounds like the greatest movie of all time, and I really ought to watch it. Like, just listen to what he just said. That sounds amazing. Yeah. Scott? I haven't. I do. I did know about the Leonard Vault scene. That's, like, the only <laughs> thing I know about it. But I haven't seen the first one either, so. Jack? This sounds like a blast. I also only know about the scene with the critic. Uh, so, uh, but no, the way you describe it makes me really want to watch it, even though I haven't seen the first Gremlins. Well, Jack, we're going to stick with you. What's your first pick? Uh, my second pick, uh, I, I think I'm going to go with the movie that uh, Jake almost uh, went with at the very beginning. Uh, and I'm not going to lie to you. It, it, it may or may not have been in my head for uh, before the show. Uh, I rewatched it end of last year. Uh, Tropic Thunder. Ooh. Is this not what I was expecting? No, no. We'll, we'll say well, that. Then I have no idea what you were talking about <laughs> you could message me or something i don't know this is a blast of a movie uh it, it it's all about uh if you haven't seen this movie it's a movie about uh these uh big hollywood actors that are either some of the biggest stars on earth or really uh looking to rebound their career all of them are uh, in this uh, in this war movie, and it, it's absolute chaos. It's about them trying to shoot this this war film, and in order to do that, uh, the director brings the four leads into the jungles in uh, the jungle in Vietnam and leaves them there, uh, saying they'll be uh they'll be watched there's cameras set up everywhere and then the director stands steps on a landmine and dies and it's them trying to fend for uh trying to uh fend for themselves in the in the jungle while they're trying to shoot this movie ben stiller's character goes uh on his own little uh side quest there's a lot of uh there's a lot of great meta jokes and some incredibly funny uh, performances from Jack Black from uh, Matthew McConaughey, who's in this movie for a little bit. Tom Cruise giving one of his, I'm I, I'm not going to lie, one of my favorite of his performances, just absolutely unhinged in this movie. Uh, 
And first time I saw it, I didn't even realize it was Tom Cruise until the credits. Uh, uh, just an absolute, uh, absolute blast. Uh, really uh, fun movie that I'm, if we're being totally honest, wouldn't get made today. Yeah. Um, yeah, really. I, I do really like this one. Yeah, there are elements that uh, in now, like we, you can see like, yeah, no, that probably, but for the time, I think that this is an incredibly clever movie. Downey Jr. is really good in it. Uh, and still is very good in it. The only weak link for me is Jack Black. I think it's the same problem I have a lot of the time with a lot of Jack Black roles and it's not his fault, but like, Having Jack Black play a character who isn't supposed to be likable or charismatic is like having Muhammad Ali box with one hand behind his back. You are, you are essentially just taking away one of his greatest act, assets as an entertainer. Like that is, I, in my opinion, Jack Black is one of the most like charismatic, likable people, and you are making him play against his own strengths. And I, I just. He's like the one element of this movie that doesn't work, but yeah, no, everything else like iconic and great. The one scene that you know we can't talk about, but it's yeah, it's it's a very well written scene though, but it has that thing though. So yeah. Anyway, uh, Payson, over to you. Thoughts on uh, this movie? Once again, shamefully, haven't seen it. Oh, fair. Wow. Uh, Scott. I saw it many years ago. Don't remember too much. I think it was, I remember thinking it was funny. I'm not, you know, big on these types of comedies, so I haven't revisited it, but um, yeah, good pick. Jake? Uh, fantastic film. I think it's great. I love it. Um, I do love the whole idea behind just parroting specific type of actors. You have, um, uh, what's his, Robert Downey Jr. is parroting Russell Crowe, Daniel Day-Lewis. You have uh, Ben Stiller, playing the sort of Stallone action guy, which is sort of like, that's in my opinion, that's the thing that doesn't like, I just, I can't see Ben Stiller as the action guy. Like that's just not what he is. Um, no matter how hard he can try, even though he directed this movie and wrote it. Um, Jack Black's playing the Chris Farley, Eddie Murphy uh, comedic type of character. Like there's some really good ideas. Even Brand I mean, shout out Brandon T. Jackson, who like doesn't do anything anymore. Um, he's really funny playing the LL Cool J, Jamie Foxx rapper and uh actor sort of out his name's al pacino al pacino like it's 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 gets you like that the movie opens with his fucking uh like a commercial of booty sweat and buster mm -hmm. nut like it's that's it's great stuff and that's a song that i like still remember these days um good stuff um and yeah tom cruise is also really great that's the whole part where they're talking with flaming dragons like who is this find out who that is like they just <laughs> do not remember who flaming dragon is i think that's really funny but yeah i don't break character till i do deep Toby Maguire's cameo in the hey, opening best. trailers is fantastic. And TV movie award best kiss. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, it's over to me. Uh, so there, I, I don't know how to qualify who framed Roger Rabbit as a meta movie. That being said, the movie that I would absolutely qualify as a meta movie. Chip and Dale Rescue Rangers. Uh, for those, I know not everyone has seen this movie. It kind of, I, I feel like it had a little bit of buzz right when it came out, and then everybody kind of forgot about it, especially because it was just like straight to Disney Plus. 
I think this was great. Um, this is very meta. A lot of like different uh, fourth wall jokes and meta jokes and uh, kind of commenting on the state of Disney reboots and reboots in general and all these other aspects. Um, Ugly Sonic, which is one of the funniest, like, how did they even come up with that? Like, to put him in this movie, I think that's funny. Yeah, no, I think that there is, this is just so clever. And then the way that the, but the film also has like a dramatic edge that is still meta with uh, Peter Pan. And the way you kind of realize that it's a little bit of a commentary on how Disney treats child stars. It's actually kind of hypercritical of Disney and the way that they treat child stars. And I think it's very specifically when you think of how Disney treated Bobby Driscoll after he got older. And I think that it's who voiced Peter Pan. So I, I think it's a really fascinating movie. I think it's super funny. I really like it. Um, Payson, uh, have you seen this? Yeah, I have, and I think I speak for most when I say this movie was, like, a hundred times better than, like, it had any right to be. Like, when I saw this movie come out, I was, like, when I heard about this movie, I was like, yeah, this is gonna suck. And then I kept hearing good things about it. I was like, oh, is it good? I'll check it out. And I, pleasant surprise. Um, I love just the, like, the little things of, like, Dale is, Chip is 2D, but Dale is CG to essentially say, like, Dale is still a working actor, so he had to get plastic surgery done, which that is essentially converting over to CG. I love that little thing. I love that there's just, like, this this area of Hollywood called the Uncanny Valley where all, like, the weird Zemeckis-esque uh, motion capture things are. Yeah, like you said, the, the, the stuff with the villain is kind of crazy when you really think about, like, the history of Disney, and I just kind of love that, like, John Mulaney and Andy Samberg are just, like, giving them the middle finger. I think that's really, really cool. Uh, I think the weak, the probably the weakest element of this movie is probably the human stuff, like, the stuff with the cops is, like, that's the stuff that I think probably could have been ironed out and why it doesn't reach, like, Roger Rabbit levels, because obviously none of these characters are on the level of Eddie Valiant. But, like, no, I, I still think it's a really, really great scene. And, like, that Seth Rogen scene could have been the most unwatchable scene in other movies in wrong hands. And it's somehow really, really funny. Yeah. Uh, Scott. Haven't seen it. Jack. I didn't get around to it. Jake. I saw this movie. Um, I did not like this movie a lot. No, uh, I think this is a bad, uh, a bad turn on the uh, meta commentary narrative, because in my opinion, this is doing exactly what it's parroting or making fun of is being the soulless, lifeless uh, corporate product made by Disney. I might add. Um, I also do. I find it uh, terrible taste the way they handle uh, uh, sweet Pete, as they call him in the movie, uh, make what happens with Bobby Driscoll, like you're saying, both. But I think that's like they make him the villain. It's just I, I do not like the way they they handled that. It's uh, in my opinion uh, poor taste. But there's some like I, I mean I the references and shit is cool. Like the ref, like the whole Seth Rogen bit. I mean like that that's sort of funny. Um, some of the ideas I wasn't expecting. Uh, J.K. Simmons. I don't, I can't remember what his character is, but he's like the T one thousand. He's like a weird Play-Doh man. Man, like stop like that stop motion sort of uh, thing. I thought was was all right. Um, 
yeah, like there's the whole bit where because Sweet Pete is sort of like making like discounted uh, shows and movies. There's the whole bit with The Simpsons and some other stuff that I can I, I can barely remember. Um, yeah, I just I find this this is just Disney just doing making a film that's like, ah, oh, we're just gonna poke fun at Disney, but we're still just gonna do what the same sort of generic uh, like plot and shit that I'm just. I am not particularly a fan of. Um, also, I have no nostalgia. I never watched Chip and Dale, so like I couldn't tell you anything about what the show is and how that sort of translates into into the movie. Um, but I found it to be sort of a drag. Fair enough. Well, uh, Payson, we go over to you. It's funny. I uh, I watched a movie for this show. I don't think I'm going to pick it because I want to talk about a different movie. Uh, Jack. Uh, you were talking about how like New Nightmare was like this really cool meta horror movie. What if you took it that, but it was a sci-fi film? I'm taking The Matrix Resurrections. Uh, yes. I really, really like this movie, and most of the reasons I do love this movie are just the insane meta elements that it's it's so clear in this movie what Lana Wachowski is saying. But that's what works for me. Um, essentially, this movie is set after the Matrix trilogy, and you learn that in this film, in this series, that original Matrix trilogy was a video game franchise created by John Anderson, played by Keanu Reeves. Uh, someone brings uh, John Anderson into an office and says, Thomas. "Yeah, Thomas Anderson. I, why was I saying John Anderson? Yeah, Thomas Anderson." And just says, um, "Hey, look." We're going to be making a fourth Matrix movie. Uh, you want to make it? And he's like, I I don't want to do it. Why would I want to reboot this? I thought it ended fine. And the producer's like, well, we're going to make it without you, but we just thought we'd ask you beforehand. And you know exactly watching that, that was probably the conversation that Lana Wachowski had making this movie. And then as the movie goes on, like New Nightmare, you start to realize that Thomas Anderson may have actually been Neo the whole time. And the love between Neo and Trinity, essentially the love between Lana Wachowski and the creator, she, the character she created, bring them together in order to like save the world. Um, just these little elements, like Chad Stahelski makes a cameo as a man named Chad. Handsome Chad. Handsome in, Chad is he's in the credits. Handsome Chad. <laughs> and wouldn't you know, the character is a total Chad. Like, he's so cool. Chad Stahelski plays a man named Chad who is a total Chad. It's awesome. Uh, the credit song is the same as the original Matrix film, except this time it's sung by a woman to essentially reflect that Lana Wachowski's transition, which I think is super, super cool. Uh, yeah, I, I know this movie didn't work for uh, some people. This worked for me. I still have not seen this, but I think you convinced me now. Yeah. Uh, I did. The problem is I don't want to watch the sequels in between this one. I want to watch this one. I don't want to. I've heard you have to watch Reloaded and Revolution, and I don't want to watch. Reloaded this. is good. Reloaded is awesome. Uh, Reloaded has its moments. <laughs> yeah, this is my favorite Matrix sequel. I really enjoy this movie. Um, I um, I like that. Basically, Lana Wachowski is just like saying "f you" to the people like me who like the Trinity and Neo romance is like my least favorite part of the sequels. And she's just like, F you, we're going to give you more of that and less of the, you know, bullet time action sequences like that. Everyone is like, Oh, the matrix. I love the action sequences or whatever. Like this movie is noticeably like there's plenty of action in it, but it doesn't 
it's not as revolutionary from a visual perspective as like the original movies were. Um, and I think that the, that a point is being made there that, hey, I intended this to be like a love story all along. And so we're going to cement that in the end. And when Trinity and Neo like fly away at the end, it's it's kind of a, a moving moment. So, yeah, this movie's great. Deserve, does not deserve the hate that it gets in some circles. It is. It, it, it's such a ridiculous pace of movie with just the wearing its heart on its sleeve. I, I love it. Jack? I watched it earlier this year, and uh, yeah, I, I I really dug it. It's one of uh, it, it. It's definitely the best Matrix sequel, in my opinion. Um, uh, yeah, Lana Wachowski uh, is uh, the uh, does a, a solid job uh, returning to the franchise. Uh, but there's one key change to the action, uh, specifically the action scenes that was made. And I, uh, it left me really disappointed because uh, uh, the other Matrix movies have these like great, well-choreographed action scenes. And a lot of that was, trade, uh, was traded for uh, force pushes in this, which kind of bummed me out. But uh, the movie itself is still really good. Uh, so. uh, Jake? I love this movie. This movie rules. Uh, I was so excited for this movie. I remember watching the trailer a bunch of times. Uh, I rewatched the sequels. I rewatched the, the trilogy, but I specifically remember watching Reloaded and Revolutions the day I watched Resurrections. Um, I was, I'm was. i a fan of Matrix. I love them. And I was not expecting the first 30 minutes to just basically be a commentary about the franchise itself. The way you have that whole, like Payson was saying, the whole meeting with... Um, with New Smith, uh, Jonathan Groff, and, uh, and uh, Tom Anderson, and how they're just facing our parent company, Warner Brothers, is forcing us to do it. They can do it with or without us. That just they mentioned Warner Brothers in this movie. There's this whole just idea behind like what is a creator's relationship to their franchise, and can it, and how do they feel when it is interpreted in a way that they didn't uh, expect or uh were, were um had had the idea to in the first place like that like the Wachowskis had always said that they love the romance between uh neo and, and trinity and you carried that over and people were just it, interpreting it in a in a way that they weren't expecting um and you had the whole uh meeting with the uh the other people where with um Christina Ritchie just showing up and just like, what is the new bullet time? What can we do? What's the what's what's new with that? Um, what 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 can we do? That's the next bullet time sort of idea and just the idea of like, what what did why do people like the Matrix? It was influential. It was it changed the way we we make games or make movies, um, and that whole just well White Rabbit plays and you just like this monotonous him just going through his day-to-day -day activities, um, taking a shit, you know, having a bath, like that sort of stuff of just like, is this really living? That stuff I'm just absolutely a fan of. Um, this is just, you know, the creator's viewpoint of the franchise that she's created and how it sort of plays into um, pop culture and how she can be both critical and celebratory about the franchise that she's made. And it's fantastic. I love this movie. I would like to watch them again. Just the more we're talking about it, it's um, good stuff. That is fair. Uh, well, um, is that? I believe that's everyone for Resurrection. So now, Scott, take us home. All right. Uh, I'm going to pick one that 
maybe people don't immediately think of, but I definitely think it qualifies. Plus, it's just one of my favorite movies. So I love talking about it. I'm going to pick Once Upon a Time in Hollywood um, as my pick. Um, as far as the meta elements go, look, this movie is about two aging actors who um, were once sort of stars. Again, one is the stunt double of the other. Um, but are getting, you know, in the case of Rick Dalton, he's getting typecast in villain roles. He's starting to feel like maybe he's he's past it. He's over his over the hill. He's nearing an age where, you know, he's not really able to play these roles anymore. Um, which, you know, again, you have two actors who, you know, in Leonardo DiCaprio and Brad Pitt, yes, they're still big movie stars, but for how much longer is that going to be, right? Like, they're older guys. They're, you know clock might might be running out to some extent too and that's contrasted with you know you have the burgeoning star the burgeoning actress sharon tate who's played by the burgeoning star margot robbie right and it's also exploring you know her um experience of you know discovering the magic of the movies for the first time the better definitely the better movie in which margot robbie discovers the magic of movies but um you know as as sharon tate we have obviously the amazing scene of her going to watch her own move watch her own movie um and you know again that that the joy of that character and then you just sort of um you know look behind the camera as well and the the fact that tarantino he's done it throughout his entire career um is sort of demonstrating the power of movies um, and the fact that he can rewrite history using the movies. And sure, when we leave the theater, we know that Sharon Tate did not survive beyond this night in real life. But for two hours and 40 minutes, however long this movie is, like we can imagine what it would have been like if, um, if she did survive. And that's, you know, the power of the movies and all the characters are themselves experiencing the power of the movies. And the fact that, you know, again, Rick Dalton, he finds a sort of a second life um, in the movies, going off to Italy, doing, you know, these spaghetti westerns. Um, you know, it, I think Tarantino loves making movies and he puts that on the screen in all of his movies. So it's not, you know, as meta as some of the other movies that we've talked about, but definitely when you think about the character where the characters are in their Hollywood careers and the actors that he chose to play them. And then sort of the, what the commentary, uh, the commentary that develops over the course of the movie. And just that last shot too, of like the old generation and the new generation, like, you know, coming together, embracing their outside Sharon Tate's houses, you know, kind of like almost like Tarantino saying, can't we, you know, can't we have some sort of a, a ceasefire here? Can't we declare a truce between these two sort of, you know, different camps of of movie fans and, and you know, generations of movie lovers? Um, so there's so much to love in this movie. It's very, very high on my all-time favorites list at this point. Uh, yeah, um, I, I'm not quite sold on it being a meta movie, but uh, it's a great film. So I'm not going to complain about it being here. Um, fantastic film. The more and more I watch it. Great film, Payson. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm in the same boat as you both, where I think uh, it's an incredible film. Not quite sure it's uh, it's a meta movie, but I uh, see Scott's points. Yeah, excellent film. Really happy we have two wonderful movies about that feature Margot Robbie about discovering the power of movies. Uh, Jack. Uh, yeah. Uh... 
I agree with basically everything Payson just said. While I don't necessarily see it as a meta movie myself, I do understand Scott's points, and uh, I, I feel like it works well enough. Uh, and yeah, it, it, great movie. Jake? This is a movie about the movie industry. This is totally a meta movie, in my opinion. Uh, the way the movie is just presented is great. The way it talks about, you know, the Italian uh, action and spaghetti westerns when you have that whole transition with the Kurt Russell voiceover, which I think is great. There's also just really great family guy cutaways, which is something I was not <laughs> expecting from the movie. Um, it's just fantastic stuff. I remember watching the movie in the cinema and just going like, this is just like... It's always a treasure when we get to see a Quentin Tarantino movie. And, I mean, poetic enough today, he announced that his last movie is called The uh, the Movie Critic, uh, which is uh, sort of, well, we'll see how it goes. But for him, yeah. it's his final movie that he's, uh, that he's directing. Um, so looking forward to that for sure. But Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is, is great. It's hard to, like, be critical about Tarantino because he's just someone who loves making movies. And I feel, I feel that just makes me just so appreciative of his movies, even though there are some that I'm not as much of a fan of compared to majority of the rest of his filmography. I always appreciate when he makes movies like this, and it's just a treasure that we are still living in, a, in, a, in today where he is making movies. So this is fantastic. Yeah. Uh, well, I believe that's everyone for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. So all we have left, well, to recap, though, our picks for meta movies. Funny Games, New Nightmare, Josie and the Pussycats, Adaptation, Being Young Knowledge, Gremlins to the New Bad, Tropic Thunder, Dale Rescue Rangers, The Matrix Resurrections, and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Uh, but before we go, we got to talk the movie of the month. It follows. Uh, I did not talk about this last week. I know Payson did, but I did not. So I will talk about it this uh, right now. I'll be honest, I was a little disappointed in this one. I mean, I, I don't know if I would say disappointed because I knew this wasn't really in my wheelhouse anyway, but. Kind of hearing how everybody talked about it last week, I got a little like on board, and it, it is a well done horror film. The I find often horror films do not pay a whole lot of mind to to me what is the most important element of a movie, which is the character. And I did not particularly the, the characters weren't bad per se, but I particularly didn't care about Jay or any of the other characters in the film. I just I, I did, that didn't really grab me and that's kind of a make or break thing, especially in horror movies because if I'm really going to care I need to care and feel like these are real lived in people. I didn't really do that. Um, there's some good horror setups here though, but overall this this wasn't for me. Uh, three out of five stars. Uh, Scott? This is uh, number 61 on my top 100. I absolutely love this movie. Um, I saw it in theaters when it came out, and it was like the first time that I can remember, like, oh, well, wow, this is like what horror movies can be. Because I, I wasn't like a huge horror movie fan. Um, this was like the first one that, you know, became one of my favorite movies. And, and now I definitely am a fan of, of the genre. But um, I just think the atmosphere of this movie is so like hypnotic, the like nostalgic, like sort of. I mean, it, it is like, you know, 70s and 80s influence a little bit, but it's also set in like this nondescript time period, which is kind of how all of David Robert Mitchell's movies are. But hmm. um, 
but yeah, I just like found it like hypnotic, like the in, intoxicating, like the the cinematography, Mike Jalakis, like the widescreen cinematography is so gorgeous to look at in a horror movie. Um, obviously, the score by Disaster Piece is amazing. Um, and the way that the movie, just like the setup of the movie, I think is so great. And the way that it uses that entire frame, like that entire widescreen frame to like constantly keep you on edge because you're like anybody that enters the frame or whatever could could be a threat to them they even like have a little joke about it at one point in the movie like when they're all sitting there like i think it's outside um the one character's house jake weary's house and you know somebody walks up and they're do you see him do you see him and they're like yeah like we did we all see him <laughs> like you know it's like a, a dry joke like that but it speaks to our anxiety as the audience and like seeing everyone approaching as a potential threat so it's really gene ingenious in the way that it turns something as mundane as walking around into like a legitimate you know terrifying threat um I think the characters are all just sort of like disaffected youths, you know, I think that's kind of part of the point. So I understand they're not as engaging as, you know, uh, and Jay might not be as engaging as your average final girl, but I think Micah Monroe is a great scream queen. She's been in a lot of other horror films as well. Um, and I do guess. like, yeah, yeah. Kirk was commenting on it last week, but I do like that the movie, you know, everyone, a lot of people talked about it being like, oh, an STD allegory or whatever when it came out, which I don't think is the point. I agree with what Kirk was saying, which is that, you know, coming of age is sort of the specter that is lurking behind them throughout the entire movie. And I really love the ending of the movie when she um, is walking with, um, uh, I can't Paul. think of his, yeah, Paul. Um, uh, yeah, they're, they're walking uh, along and now they've kind of like gotten together and they're holding hands or whatever. And you see in the background someone approaching, but like they're not afraid anymore. They're not like even looking over their shoulder or anything because they have sort of overcome the specter of coming of age. They realize they're going to be able to make it through this together. And that's really like the important thing. So it's kind of a touching ending in its own way even though it's like you know you have someone approaching in the background love this movie love all of david robert mitchell's work he needs to come back to us i am sad about what happened with under the silver lake the distribution and then what happened as far as it seems like with his career with that movie just kind of coming and going so um we need you back david robert mitchell he makes such interesting and beautiful movies to look at um and it's definitely one of them five stars uh, Jack, uh, I was not. Uh, I, I was added to this yesterday, and I didn't have time to watch it. Fair so enough, Jake. Uh, I love this movie. I remember watching it back in 2015, 2016, uh, and thinking it was really good. I, I mean, what Scott was saying was as far as and what he was mentioning with Kirk last week. The whole you can definitely see the subtext of oh, it's a movie about you know and getting an std or that sort of uh metaphor and i feel like that is definitely a way you can interpret it and I, that's how i interpreted it when it came out um but that's the great thing about films is that it, it can that film can be interpreted in many and multiple different ways and the more ways a movie can be interpreted the the more i see the movie being a fantastic film that just doesn't get old um i rewatched it last night and i just had a great time i was just more just invested in the way the movie presents itself and the way that the characters try to figure out this uh, this problem uh, for Jay, especially since most of them don't even know what is actually going on. The fact that they can't even see the entity, it, whatever, whatever it, it is. I love that the movie never 
goes too much into detail. We just find out from uh, the guy. I can't remember the guy's name, but just like I got it from a, a girl in a bar. I, I don't even remember her name, but like she could have been the original person, and I just passed it on to me. I don't know. Like I just have to pass it on to someone else and just make sure that uh, that I don't get uh, attacked by this uh, creature. We have the whole opening that just sets up like what this creature can do. Okay. Um, so good. But you have, which is sort of like a, uh, like a, I don't want to say a parody, but sort of a reference to 80s movies. She's running in high heels and she's trying to like evade the creature while she can get in the car. You have that nice little moment where she uh, calls her parents or cause, and just says, I'm sorry, I've been like just a shit to you guys. Um, and then she's just dead in the morning. You see her like, leg like sticking. Yeah. It's just, it's a really like, just like, uh, like frightening uh, image. Um, but not going into too much into spoilers because I know Jack hasn't seen that. But when we see, it or whatever it is kill someone it is so just like shocking because it's essentially like it's raping uh greg the neighbor of spoiler shit um but sorry jack um but the way it's just like the way it's presented and you got the lights flickering it's just like so just oh it feels disgusting but like i mean that's the whole idea behind the creatures that it's like it's it's killing people just through this side like train i think they say like a carriage um also, just shout out the camera work. I think it's just one of the best, like, horror movies as far as, like, the camera work goes, the cinematography, like Scott was saying. The way that the camera is so uninterested in just focusing on certain characters and will just... There's that one shot when they're at the school where they're trying to find the uh, the guy that Jay was dating and the camera work is just this whole 360-degree spin and you can see someone outside just walking close, but it's, like, it's never interested in just focusing on that. It's just what what is going on in the scene what we're focusing what just doesn't have any specific one singular focus i think the camera works just like fantastic and you can like Shyamalan picked up the guy when he um when he was making split like mike uh michael galakis um and then he makes other um other movies for Shyamalan and uh and, and still did under the silver lake yeah um yeah really really good stuff i love this movie um and just but the ending also is great. The ambiguous nature of it, like, is that it? We don't know. Just good old cut to black and the disaster piece score. Uh, I was noticing on this one specifically. The last thing I'll say is just that it's got that. It's obviously got that '80s Carpenter synth uh, influence, but it doesn't go so far to where I'm just thinking about that. It's its own piece of music. Um, I would nominate for the Oscar. Um, but there's that little reference of John Carpenter. We hear the of the Halloween, which I really like. Um, I can't remember when it is, but I think it's when she's in Greg's house. I can't remember specifically moment, but I remember hearing that just going, "Damn, that's really good." Um, so yeah, good stuff. All right, uh, four and a, four and a half stars for me. Four and okay, a half stars. well, that'll be it for today. Thank you everyone for watching. Thank you to Jake. Thank you to Jack. Thank you to Scott. Thank you to Pizza. Thank you everyone for watching. This has been logged. It. See you next time. In case I don't see you. Good afternoon. Good evening.